Hello, welcome to the Highland Church Podcast. All right, so today, as we get into uh, our topic of the morning, I kind of have an overarching idea, an idea of the day that I love that the last song that we did was Make Room. I didn't know we were going to be doing that song. That's kind of like the theme of the day, so this is perfect. I'm thankful for that. Because my overarching idea of the day is that being generous with our time is the way that we can show God's love. Being generous with our time shows Jesus' love. See, in a world that's full of people who are desperate for connection, desperate to feel real hope, real love, we can do that as followers of Christ by being generous with our time. So this morning, I'm going to open up with a story from the Gospel of Luke. Um, Teenagers, I'm sorry. I've been doing this every week because we're going through the Gospel of Luke in youth group this fall, and I'm only like two-thirds of the way through Luke 4. Um, But we're in Luke today, and to give you some backdrop of who Luke is and what he's doing, Luke is written by, the Gospel of Luke is written by who? Sherman. Uh, By Luke. Yes, by Luke. Luke is the man who also wrote Acts, the Acts of the Apostles. All right, so Luke, he writes this gospel and then he writes Acts to a man named Theophilus. And in Luke chapter 1, verse 4, he gives the reasoning for why he writes what he writes. And it helps us as we understand and go into the text today. He says that he's writing so that you, Theophilus, may know the certainty of of the things you have been taught. And Luke does this in in an amazing way because, see, Luke traveled with the eyewitnesses of all the things that happened. Luke was an eyewitness of what happened throughout the the book of Acts as he traveled with Paul on his missionary journeys. He would have been, like, face-to-face with many of the apostles as he has been a traveling partner with Peter and Paul. he, He is a person who who like found out the correct information. He took time from eyewitness sources to see the things that Jesus did, to hear the words that Jesus taught. And then he even, because he saw it, or he talked to people who saw it, he, he records the reactions of the people to the things that Jesus did. So in Luke chapter 10, we're going to read um, some words that are very familiar to anybody who's been in church. And even if you haven't been in church, you've probably heard this story. It's a story that no matter how you look at it, has aged really well. You know, like some stories you read, like fiction books, you're like, whoa, that didn't age well. This story that Jesus tells has aged incredibly well. It's a story that makes a point that we need to hear today. So in Luke chapter 10, verse 25 through 37, we're going to read today. It says this. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied, do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, Who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes. They beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. 
And when he saw the man, he passed on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed on, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Lord, I pray that these words would not be words that we just gloss over because we have read them so many times or that we've heard this story so often. But Lord, that we would just sit in these words and try to discern what you are saying, first of all, to this man, but then also then what you have for us today to take from this text. Lord, we love you. Pray it's in your name. Amen. All right. Show of hands. Okay. I'm going to be a little interactive for a moment here. How many of you have heard this story before? Okay. Most of you. Okay. How many of you have heard this story more than 10 times? Okay. You probably don't even know the number of times you've said it. So I've grown up in the church. I've been in the church since the first week of life. I was born on a Monday. I was in church, I think, that Wednesday night. Um, like, my parents had us there always. And... Um, I've heard this story like 38 times 52. Okay, we don't tell it every week, but you know, like it's, I've heard it a lot. (laughs) It's a story that has found its way into our culture. It's a story that uh, it's so well known that all 50 states plus Washington, D.C. have good Samaritan laws on the books. There are laws that if you see somebody who is injured and you attempt to help them, they can't sue you. You know, like somebody's choking, you give them like the Heimlich maneuver and you break their ribs because that's the way you do it. Uh, like, or like you're giving them CPR, I mean, and you break their ribs. That's what I meant to say. I see some first responders and they're like, whoa, stop. Uh, <laughs> don't Heimlich, CPR. Uh, but like, like if their ribs get broken, they, they can't sue you because you're, you're in good faith attempting to help. Like, so these laws are on the books. This, it's so well known that, like, even laws are named after it. This is a story that can be told simply, but it can also be mined for truths well beyond just a simple reading. But one thing I've noticed over the years, uh, particularly for me reading it, is that uh, I like to categorize where I think certain people fit in a story. Maybe you don't do this, and I'm telling on myself right now, uh, but... We categorize people into different characters of this story. We place people maybe that we don't like in the shoes of the priest. Like, they wouldn't lift a finger to help that person over there. Or, or like, can you believe that these people even wouldn't, they wouldn't even stop to help them? But if we're truthful with ourselves, the only person's shoes in this story that we like to place ourselves in is the Good Samaritan. He's the only character that we, if we, like, If we're honest, we would all claim that if we were placed in a situation like the Samaritan was, that we would do what he did. That we would give of ourselves, that we would sacrifice for someone else. And we all say that we would drop anything in our schedule if we saw somebody who was in need. So that we can be there for their needs. So that we could be generous with our time for a stranger or the one who can't pay us back. But, 
as I was working on this, and there's really only one person in this story that oftentimes we would actually align with. And I'll get there in a moment. Um, but let's go back to the text again. So we have this man who steps up and he asks Jesus a question. Um, and it's a, it may seem basic, but what we see from Jesus is that this answer is, well, he has a bigger answer than we could know. So the question is, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, for some of you who have walked into this place today, maybe that's a question you asked when you walked through that door. Maybe that's even why you're here today, because you're asking that question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And you're like, well, what better place to go than the church? And this is the question that this expert in the law asks Jesus. Now, if he's an expert in some um, different translations, this is from the NIV, I think it's the ESV, uh, the English Standard Version might uh, render that teacher as lawyer. He was an expert in the law, expert in the Pentateuch, expert in the first five books of the, what we have as the Old Testament. See, he knows the traditions of his people. He would have had an answer in his head of what he himself must do to inherit eternal life. He likely was already doing the things that he needed to do, or else he wouldn't have asked that sort of question. If you watch lawyer shows or shows where there's like court cases, like the lawyer is never supposed to ask a question that they don't already have the answer to. But Jesus doesn't give the expert what he was looking for. He doesn't answer the question with a clear answer. Instead, he turns the question back on the expert in the law. He turns the question to the man who should have been able to answer it if he really is an expert. Because, so Jesus responds himself with a question. And the question is, um, it says, what is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? And I love the way that Jesus does this. And I wish I had this ability. I, I keep looking back at Dan Herod, and Dan Herod, you're amazing at this, of just like asking questions of, like, of people and like drawing things out of them. Sorry, I don't mean to point you out there. He's good at this. Uh, but see, it's a skill that Jesus uses that I wish I used more regularly because this man's question was a pretty loaded question. But the expert answers Jesus. He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus, you have answered correctly, Jesus replied, do this and you will live. So Jesus did not just give this man an answer to his first question. He doesn't just simply give an answer and walk away. Jesus stops what he's doing in the moment and answers, or takes time to dialogue with this man. He doesn't simply give an answer, but he wants to see where this man was. And to his credit, this man gives a good answer. Jesus, Jesus even says so. But what we can understand from his question is something that maybe we don't understand just reading the text. So in the time of, that Jesus was traveling around um, what is now modern-day Israel, there was two major religious factions of the day. And if you've read scriptures, especially once you get into Acts, you see these two in conflict a lot. There's the Pharisees and the Sadducees. One of them believed in like the resurrection, one didn't. Well, the one who would be talking about afterlife would be the one, the eternal life would be the one who does. So this man is likely from the group of the Pharisees. And the Pharisees were known for how strictly they adhered to the law. So strictly that they even had their own verbal rules that they followed so that they wouldn't even come close to breaking the Mosaic law. This man was man because of 
that because of how strictly he adhered to the law, the Pharisees often looked down on and did not associate with those who were not of their group. So when Jesus says, or when he answers, love your neighbor as yourself, he couldn't leave the answer there. When Jesus says, yeah, that's, that's good, go and do it, he can't leave it there. So scripture records this about him. In verse 29, it says, but he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Now, let me tell you what's happening here. I was like reading through different things about this, and some of the people I read saying that he's looking for a loophole. He's looking for a loophole to be able to make his neighbor, the, the word neighbor, as small of a thing as possible. He's looking to make his neighbor, the, the group that he could consider his neighbor, the smallest group that it could possibly be. Because if this is the case, then he doesn't really have to care about anybody outside of his group. If this is the case, he doesn't have to give his time to the people on his street that obviously aren't living according to his standards. If this is the case, he doesn't have to give his time to people he doesn't know or he doesn't care for. So if all he has to do is love the people that already love him, if all he has to do is love his family, like, he's got this down. (laughs) And this is where I want to focus in on this morning, because as I was reading this story, um, and really it was on Thursday as I was rereading this again, and I scrapped my whole sermon that I had, and <laughs> like the Lord is like speaking to me, and he's like, see, up until this week, I'd always place myself in the shoes of the Good Samaritan. I'd always place myself as the one who, of course, I would stop and help somebody. And, and I, I like to think that I do, that I give him my time sacrificially. Thankfully, my wife is nodding yes, and like that's why I serve in the church, because I want to give of myself for people. Um, I'd always thought that if I see somebody in need, I would do something. That if I saw somebody hurting, I would step in. But then I sat and thought about the expert's question. And it's just like, oh. <laughs> like, see, Scripture says that he was looking to justify himself. He was looking for a way to shrink that neighbor word to something as small as possible. He knows that who he's supposed to care for. He's already likely given his time to them. He has time for those he cares about. And it hit me. Like, I'm, I'm Batman. I'm the expert in the law. No, I'm not the expert in the law. But I'm like, I'm, I'm not. Um, but, but how often do we look at these verses, like this inscription, and say, of course I'm following through. Of course I'm loving everybody. Like, God, I care about my family. Isn't that enough? God, I'm serving the church. Isn't that enough? God, I'm loving people who love me. Isn't that enough? God, I give up my time in the places that I'm required, and I don't have any more of it to give. And as I'm writing these words and prepping my sermon, I feel my phone vibrate in my pocket. Right? You guys know what I'm talking about. Or maybe you don't. Good. Don't let it happen. But I feel the phone vibrate in my pocket, and then I proceeded to spend, like, I write these words, and then I proceeded to spend the next 30 minutes or an hour or more just Somebody's notification just went off. That was perfect timing. But like, I proceeded to spend like the next hour or so scrolling through Instagram reels because I'm too old for TikTok. Like, I, I was just doing like. Then I went over to Facebook because again, I'm too old for the other things. And I'm like these these Facebook reels and just all these things are just stealing my time, stealing my attention. So that when I left this, I I was I didn't have time for anything. I was at a youth pastor retreat this weekend and like. I had to go back to my room to work on this because I had spent too much time on the earlier days letting other things take my time. 
These things had blocked out all the other needs because I had to attend to this need that was in my pocket. And what was built, this thing has been built, like technology has been built as a technology to connect the world has really turned into something that, that we really only use for one thing. And that's to find others who think and act and react the same way that we do. But even more than that, like, that's what we use it for. But like, they've programmed it to the software, the algorithms to hold our attention as long as possible to keep you from clicking away. And when you do click away, they send you a notification to draw you back. Like, it's scary. Technology has facilitated this insularity. Like, it's just, we're so about ourselves that we only have time for those who care about what we care about. And it's not too dissimilar to what this expert in the law would have experienced. See, we have used technology to connect us with others who are just like us. And while they didn't have the technology to facilitate it, that's the sort of world that this expert found himself living in. He was living in a world where the only people he cared about were the people who cared about the same things he cared about. That's who he had time for. That's who he would sacrifice for. He, only would, have an, uh, he would only have enough time for those who cared about the things that he cared about, who acted like him, who looked like him. This man who knew all the right answers to scriptures was looking for ways to not need to use his time for people he didn't care about. Jesus sees through it. He sees through it instantly. Jesus sees through this man's limitations on who he should love, and he radically expands it with the story he tells. Jesus sees through this man's limitations on who is deserving of his time and teaches him in an amazingly effective and still relevant way. Because see, love takes time. The story that we're looking at this morning, the story that Jesus hops into, we see four people. Five if you count the innkeeper. We see four people, though, in this story that Jesus tells. We see the injured man. He's been robbed. He's been jumped. He's been stripped naked, left for dead. It would have been a rough scene. We have the priest, this, you know, stand-up dude. We have the Levite who would have assisted in the, in the worship at the temple. And then we have the Samaritan. And we'll get into why that's important in just a moment. But each of these people had different reasons for being on the road that day. You're not traveling between Jericho and Jerusalem without a purpose. This was a treacherous journey. If you had business in Jerusalem or Jericho, the, the road that, that Jesus is using for this story would have been one that you would travel. It was about 18 miles long. It took about uh, an elevation drop between Jerusalem down to Jericho of over 3,000 feet. Jericho is at 900 feet below sea level, and parts of Jerusalem are over 2,000 feet above sea level. So, like, this was a journey. And over that mileage, that's, that's a big, that's a hard trek to make. And in this story, we see that they are heading from Jerusalem down to Jericho, because you would either say they were going up to Jerusalem or they were going down the road, because it's, it's steep, all right? So it's easy. We can, we can figure that out from the story that Jesus tells. So the characters we have, well, obviously the man's injured. He's on the ground. We have the priest. We, we, we can only hypothesize of why he's on this road, but let's just assume that he has done his stint in the temple in Jerusalem, and now he's heading back to Jericho. Maybe that's where his family lives. Maybe that's, there's something there that he needs to go to do. So he's on the road down from Jerusalem to Jericho. 
We see a Levite. Again, this was a man who would have served the temple. He would have helped facilitate the worship of the Jews in that area. Again, heading down the road. And then we have the Samaritan. Why he's on this road, I have no clue. (laughs) But what we do know is that as as Jesus mentioned the very word Samaritan, the expert in the law probably got a little angry. A distaste would have arisen in his mouth as he heard that word. Because see, the Jews and the Samaritans hate each other. This is a hatred that has gone back hundreds of years. It goes, so back in... um, the Old Testament, and in Kings and Chronicles, we see the exile of God's people from uh, the Promised Land out into captivity. And then there's some people who are left behind, um, some Jews who are left in the land to tend the land. Uh, they intermarry with some of the people in the land. And then there's the Jews who come back in Ezra and Nehemiah, when you, in those books. And they come back, and they, they don't like each other instantly. Like the Jews who return don't like the ones who are still there, and they separate. And from that point on, they were in constant, I would almost say, war. During the time of the Maccabee Revolt, like the the Samaritans sided with the people the Jews didn't like. And so the Jews went and sacked the temple that the Samaritans had built. And then during the time of Jesus' early childhood, the Samaritans brought human bones and desecrated the temple in Jerusalem. There was hatred here. It's like burning down their churches. There was violence The Jews and the Samaritans hated each other. The hatred, though, went both ways. (laughs) The distaste went both ways. And as we look at this story, what we see from the priest and the Levite is that whatever they have going on is more important than giving this man, who is likely one of their own, help and service. Both of them see an issue and decide to walk around it, to go down their own way. Their time was more... Uh, and more important to them, and they weren't going to use it for this man. But then Jesus then uses the Samaritan, the one that these Jewish people would have despised. And he's the man who shows mercy. He's the one who steps outside of the hatred, the bigotry that would have came his way. I mean, even I just think as he's on this road and he's taking this injured man to the inn, like, does the innkeeper even want to talk to the Samaritan? Like, like this, is a, this is a hard thing. See, this man shows just this compassion. He steps outside the hatred and bigotry of these past centuries and so shows compassion. He shows mercy for this injured man. And what we see is that the Samaritan, what we see in the Samaritan is that nothing that was going on in his life was more important in this moment than helping the man who was lost, helping the man who needed help. help. And the Samaritan was generous with his time and brought life to a man who was on death's doorstep. He doesn't, he doesn't take of his time as more important. See, two people saw a need and passed on by. Another one stopped. Now, okay, we can go into the ifs and whys. Like, as I was writing this, I was like starting to write down all my little hypotheses of why a priest can't stop and help the man. Why a Levite wouldn't be able to stop and help the man. What matters is that they didn't stop and help the man. <laughs> like, whoever was on, whoever or whatever was on the other end of the road was more important than who was on the road with them. Whatever was on their schedule was more important than this man who needed desperate help. And and this caused me, again, to stop. And our calendars 
can cause us to become callous to what God brings our way. We can become so wrapped up in the things of our daily life, our routines, that we miss what is right in front of us. We're so intently looking down the road that we miss who God has placed on the road with us. These other things and people on my calendar, like we, we put them as more important and we place them in front of what God has for us. And maybe it's not that we're looking too far down the road. Like we're not looking like, to our future and like our future is way more important than what's happening right here. But maybe we've just filled our calendar too much. We've placed too many things to be able to be generous with our time. We have so much on our plate that when God gives us a detour, we keep on driving. Saying we don't have time for that. But it's not just that. We have allowed so many things to begin to take over our lives that we don't even realize our time is gone. We've allowed so many distractions, so many things that don't matter in our life that when God gives us direction, we can miss it. Or simply tell him that we don't have time to do it. Jesus takes an enemy of the man who asked the question and holds him up as the hero in the story. He took a man that the expert despised and holds him up as the example. And the example we see that Jesus gives is of a man who is in hostile territory, who gave of his time to love, gave of his time to have compassion, gave of his time so that this man who he encountered on the road who was about to die could find life. Not because he was somebody in their circle, not because it was somebody who could pay him back, not because of any other reason other than the Samaritan recognized the need and he could be generous with the time that he had to care for somebody in need. The Samaritan was on a journey. Again, you wouldn't be on this road if you weren't on a journey. But that journey was not more important than the person who was in front of him who was in need. And if we are to love our neighbors as ourselves, it's going to take generosity. It's going to take allowing our schedules to be changed so that we can be generous with the time that we have to those who are around us. Now, there are countless needs around us. There are countless people who need someone to stop, countless people who just want somebody to listen to what they've gone through, countless situations that need somebody to simply stop, step in and step up and help. And when we look at the world around us, it's chaos. We look around the world around us, it can seem hard. When we look at even just our community here, it can be overwhelming. We can see all that needs to be done and come to realize that there is no way that we can meet all the needs. Because individually, we can't. It can be hard to see the needs of the world and see that you only have two hands. So it's easy to say, I'll simply worry about mine. I'll worry about only about my kids. I'll worry only about my family. But as we, as followers of Jesus Christ, each give of what we have, give of our time, we can start to see the needs of those around us be met. As we have adults in this church who I'm so thankful for the adults who serve our youth ministry. Youth ministry is a great place to serve. Because what the students are looking for, you have. That's time and an ear to listen. But it's not just teenagers that need that. Our world is needing that. They're needing people to stop, put down their phones, put it, in, put it away, and simply listen. Be there for them. Love takes time. And the Samaritan sacrifice, he took time to care for this injured man. And also then, love requires sacrifice. I mentioned at the beginning of how we all like to place ourselves in the shoes of the good Samaritan. 
But we need to realize, we need to, but what we need to realize is that the care the Samaritan showed required sacrifice. Like, if we claim that we're him in this story, we need to act like him. He didn't value his time as only his own. He didn't, he sacrificed his time so he could have compassion. Again, he's on this journey. He's on an 18-mile walk. If, who, does anybody here drive more than 18 miles to get to church? A, a few, okay, a few. I know, I know there's several. Does it take you um, all day to get here? No. But for this man, this, this journey he was on would have been an all-day, if not more, affair to go that distance. This man would have been on that road with a purpose, but he sacrificed his time for a different purpose than his own. And one of the hardest things I have found as a parent is that if I want what is best for my children, it often means that I have to give up what I want so they can have what they need. If you're a parent, you understand. Like, or maybe I give up something I need so that they can have what they need, especially when you have a newborn and they're getting up every couple hours and you're getting up with them every couple hours and then you don't fall asleep when they do, right? Because like, you're trying to get them down. And then they wake up again, and it's like, I, I really need my sleep, but you need to eat. And, uh, like, we give up something that we need so that they can have what they need. That's sacrifice. It means not going and doing things that you want to do because your kid's got to take a nap. It might mean that you're at home with a sick kid when you had other plans for the day. That was my Monday. My wife was home on Tuesday. We got sick kids, right? You sacrifice for your children. And as a parent, one of the ways that you show love for your children is sacrificing your wants for their needs. And much of what we find ourselves sacrificing is our time. And this aligns with the Apostle Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2 as he says, Let us not let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. The good Samaritan, if he didn't want to fall into the hands of the same robbers that beat up the man, should have looked out for his own interests and got out of there. He should have only looked out for himself, but that's not what he did. He sacrificed his safety, and he was generous with his time to look after the interests of somebody he had never met, somebody who probably couldn't even speak to tell him what happened. He sacrificed his time so he could be generous with it. And what we need to understand is that love involves sacrifice. Any relationship you're in involves sacrifice. Love for God's creation involves sacrifice. Love for our fellow humans created in the image of God, the image bearers, requires sacrifice. And one of the simplest ways to do that, to love, is to be generous with our time. The expert in the law was looking for a reason to justify himself because he thought he had already been a neighbor to the people who mattered. Instead, what he found was that he had made his circle too small. He had created his own rules, his own limitations on how much he was supposed to love and sacrifice for others. And today I just have a simple question for you as we move towards the end of our time together. And worship team, you can start to make your way up here. My question for you is this, is have you left room for God to move in you and through you? Have you left room? Have you left room for God to move in you and through you. By that I mean, are you being generous with your time? Is your schedule so packed that you cannot imagine helping somebody who's having an emergency? There was, uh, this past year, I'm so thankful for our neighbor. Uh, I, had, uh, I had to get, like, rushed to the hospital, and our neighbor was able to watch our children for a little bit. 
I was thankful that her schedule wasn't so packed that she was able to be there for us. And have you filled your day to the point where, like the priest and the Levite, when something comes up, that you, the only thing you can do is to keep walking on by. But love calls us to sacrifice so that we can be generous with what we have, what we've been given. And the number one thing that I know all of you have, because you're sitting in this room right now, you've been given time. You may not have finances to be able to fund something. You may not have the strength or the knowledge to build something. But you have the same amount of time as anybody else in this room to love somebody. To sit with them in their pain. To listen to them as they share their hurts. And to introduce them to the one who gave it all for them. See, being generous with our time shows Jesus' love. And not only does it show it, it reflects it. Because see, Jesus, the author, the perfecter of our faith, the God of the universe, the one who created it all, stepped into time. In John chapter 1, it says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. But not only did Jesus come and live among us from a helpless baby to adulthood, but he came for a reason. He came as a sacrifice once and for all. Romans 5, 8 says, well, we were yet sinners... While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. What we are owed because of our sin, the payment we deserve is death. It's separation from God. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And if you want to know more about what it looks like to give your life and follow Christ, talk to me after, but What I want us to see here, though, is that our Lord loved us so much that he sacrificed. Sacrificed his very life on the cross, where his blood that he shed on the cross paid for our righteousness, or our right standing with God. His love took time to be with us, and then allowed his life to be sacrificed on the cross for our sins. And see, Jesus Christ sets the standard that we as Christians are to follow to take up our cross, to die to ourselves, and to follow him. And and what that looks like is this. It's, as we sang in the song, it's perfect that you sang that. Uh, As we sang in that song, that we just lay it all down at his feet and saying, Jesus, what do you have for me? Following him means that your schedule is no longer your own as he is now leading you, he's guiding you. Some of you in here need to take some things off your plate so you can be ready for what God is about to place on it. Some of you need to put down your phones, delete some apps. Maybe you've like watched 10 hours of YouTube a day. Make it two. <laughs> like, you know, but like for real, like you, you place so many things, you allow so many distractions into your life. You spend hours swiping and it's keeping you from being open to what God has for you. Stop wasting your time on things that don't matter. Some of us, though, are also, maybe it's that you're so scared of sitting in silence that you fill your every moment of your day with noise. That you have to have the TV on. You have to have music playing in your ears because you can't just sit there in the moment. And you fill your day with inconsequential things. See, the Samaritan was the one who embodied what it means to be a neighbor. He gave of his times, his talents, his treasures. He knew what it means to love. And... And being generous with our time shows Jesus' love. Some of you have reasons today that you're already thinking of. 
of why it isn't possible for you to rearrange your schedule. Some of you are doing that. And as I was driving past, um, I was driving to church this morning, and um, I, was, I, I had to get like half and half so you guys could you know, have it in your coffee. And I was, I was driving down the road, and I passed this sign on the gym, uh, the Fitternal gym, the CrossFit gym. And I don't know if we have it on there. Can you put the slide up on the screen? It says this. Opportunities are everywhere. So are excuses. Your choice. And I was just like, thank you, Lord. <laughs> I needed something here. Opportunities are everywhere, but our excuses are endless. Right? Opportunities are everywhere, and so are your excuses. Your choice. These, the, the priest... The Levite, they had their excuses, even though the opportunity was right there. The Samaritan was the one who was generous with his time to show God's love. So, dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you. I thank you for these words that challenge us. Lord, and I pray that you would just be speaking to each and every one of us who has allowed too many things to fill our lives, too many things to take precedent over your people. Lord, that we have allowed too many things to keep us from doing what you would have us to do. And Lord, I pray that we would just lay them at your feet and allow you to do what you'd have us to do. Lord, we love you. I pray this in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening, and please join us each Sunday at 10 a.m. for our worship service. 